Good morning, I'm Doug Doving. Welcome to Subject ACT on Tuesday the 17th of May. Today on Subject ACT, we talk with Lifeline Canberra Interim Chief Executive Officer Pauline Thornlow about Lifeline's crisis support and suicide prevention service. You can contact Lifeline's crisis support and suicide prevention service on 13 11 14. Suicide is often a difficult subject to talk about, so I encourage you today to stay tuned to this very informative program as we talk about some of the myths, risk factors and practical steps to prevent suicide. Stay tuned for more on 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. Lifeline Canberra is considered leaders in suicide prevention and community-wide awareness. Suicide remains a leading cause of death for Australians aged 15 to 44. Lifeline Canberra Interim CEO Pauline Thornlow will talk about some of the myths surrounding suicide and some practical steps to prevent suicide. We welcome Pauline to Subject ACT. In 2014, Australia-wide, there was 2,864 people took their own life. And that's you know a large number, a very large number. But I think it becomes even more frightening when you think that eight people took their own life each day. That's a huge, huge impact on a country. So yeah, I think that makes it a lot more intimate, I think, a lot closer to people when they realise how many people are dying every day. We don't lose eight people every day on our roads. That's when it starts to become a lot more realistic for people. And is there a comparison to funding in relation to that? I mean, the funding that goes towards car accidents and fatalities, preventing that, versus the funding that goes into saving lives from suicide? That's a very difficult question to answer, but I think the the point I would make is that when Australians realised how dangerous it was to be on the roads, we collectively, governments and people, put a lot of money into solving that problem. And in Australia, our road toll has dropped incredibly over the last 10 years because of the time and money and awareness that surrounded that issue. What it says to me is that if we put that time and awareness and money into issues like suicide, we could achieve the same result. And I think that's the comparison I would draw. This stage, it's important to raise awareness. Yes. And by raising awareness, we would hope the end result would be to reduce the death toll. Yeah. And look, I absolutely believe that would be the case. If we Mm. can provide more support for people, more places for people to go to get support, then I'm sure we're going to be able to make a real difference to the suicide rate. What are some things that you would like to see that could possibly raise awareness, increase more funds or help towards the cause of suicide prevention? Oh, look, this interview is part of that, isn't it? I mean, getting people to understand what they can do individually to support people, having more crisis supporters in places like Lifeline available for people when they get to that point, being able to provide better training for people in resilience so people are able to deal with issues as they come up. A lot of things that can be done to support people in difficult situations and also to help them not to get into that situation because they're more resilient. So resilience training is... It's almost like a prevention tool. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And whereabouts can people get that resilience training? Oh, look, certainly Lifeline Canberra does some work in that area. A lot of places will do work around that as well. But also in schools, having schools focus on that as part of their <laughs> curriculum. Uh, you know, it's, it's about building that resilience over time. Resilience training is like a life skill. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I think we lose sight of the fact that the world is not getting easier. There's mm. so many pressures on people now, pressures to perform well 
well, pressures to achieve success at work, success in your relationship, build a big house, you know, all of those things that make it more and more difficult for people. So having the ability to achieve a lot, but also to be able to deal with things when they go wrong. And they'll go wrong for all of us at some point. Exactly. And so in effect, it's probably a good preventative tool to have some resilience training before we get into those tough moments. Yeah. And that's why schools Mm. are a great opportunity for us, Mm. you know, as a community to be able to get support from, you know, in schools when people are starting to come to grips with difficult situations in their life, then, you know, the schools can be great supports for that. Are you aware of any organisations that provide that resilience training in schools or is that up to the teachers? I know that Lifeline has done that in the past. From a corporate sponsor, what a great opportunity if a, a corporate sponsor could fund that resilience training in school. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, mm, mm. absolutely. And certainly we have done some. And when we get an opportunity, we continue to do that. It's, again, a matter of having the money to do these things. Time, people and money, yes. That's yes. right, which is always a big issue for any not-for-profit. And do you have enough volunteers to do the work that's required? We always want more volunteers because it's a big ask of people. Canberra has a lot of people who uh, you know move in and out, will go to other places to work and so on. So we need an ongoing stream of volunteers to come and work with us, both as volunteers on the phones, but also we have volunteers who work at our book fairs and they do a fantastic job bringing together all of our donated books and getting them ready for sale. So both of those areas always require more volunteers. What motivated you to become a Lifeline crisis support volunteer in 2004? I had only recently come to Canberra, Doug, and I wanted to become more a part of the Canberra community. And I was also working at the time with people who had been injured at work. And so I started to get a bit of an appreciation of some of the difficulties that they were facing and some of the mental illness issues that came from that. And I saw Lifeline, I saw ads for Lifeline, and it's such a well-known organisation with such a fantastic reputation. I thought it was a great opportunity to bring a few of those things together. Lifeline Canberra, they are the leaders in suicide prevention and community awareness for mental health issues. What are some services that Lifeline Canberra provides? Look, primarily our service is a 24-7 phone line. We're there every day, all day, answering calls, so that's our primary focus. But we also do some awareness and education programs for people. They tend to be in things like suicide prevention, but also communication skills, dealing with difficult situations, that kind of thing. So there's both a training arm and a crisis support arm. Each day, Lifeline Canberra Crisis volunteers answer over 100 calls a day. What are some of the reasons that people would call Lifeline Canberra? Any reason you can possibly think of, really. People have a a lot of issues in their life. It could be financial distress. It could be losing a job. It could be wondering whether you're competent in a job. It could be anything. Family difficulties, bereavement, loss of any sort. Really, it's whatever someone defines as a crisis. And of course, suicide is, is a large part of that. But it isn't just that end. There's a lot of isolated people in our communities around the world now. And those people need support. Do you think it's easier for people to talk to a stranger on a phone than someone that they would know or family? Yeah, look, I think that's a really important part of it because one of the important things we focus on is it being non-judgmental. So when someone rings up and says, look, you know, I'm not able to cope, they aren't going to be judged by someone looking at them saying, oh, well, you should be able to. We work really hard on being just an ear Mm. so people can say whatever they feel that they need to. They're not letting anyone down by talking to us. And sometimes it's easier to understand burden yourself when there's no one looking at you and I think that's a big part of our service or how our service is set up. 
And if someone did phone the crisis support, their private details, is that recorded or is it kept confidential? It is certainly kept confidential. We do record calls now, and that, but a lot of that is so that we can train our own people better. But there's certainly a confidentiality that we give. We wouldn't be um, saying, oh, look, I, I spoke to Mary yesterday, and mm. guess what she told me? It's <laughs> it's nothing like that. It is completely confidential. And we make a big part of our training to recognise people's privacy and dignity in what we do. That must take a lot of skill to work with someone that is ringing up in a time of crisis. Yeah, look, it's quite confronting, I think, for people to be a crisis supporter. But I have to say, uh, and I'm not just saying this because I, I now work in the organisation, but it's the best training I've ever done. We have, it's around about 80 hours of training that people get, and that's both lectures and talks and working with e-learning and so on. But there's also a lot of practice that we do, and they work with experienced telephone crisis supporters. So they get supported by that, but also so get the benefit of their experience. We don't put someone on the phone until they've completed their training, until they feel confident and we feel confident they're able to deal with it. All the way along the time, once they start uh, as a crisis supporter, they're given ongoing training, ongoing support and mentoring. They're never on their own in that sense. They're in a very supported environment. Is there a call centre? Yeah, it is kind of a call centre. Not a call centre, you know, you see sometimes on television with banks of hundreds of phones, but certainly it is a call centre-ish environment. So there would be a couple of phone crisis support workers there with a, a mentor? Yeah, a mentor's available either, mm. you know, there in the room or close by. So yeah, there's a mentor there and some, you know, one or two, depending on the day, depending on the time, people who are there answering calls. The people on the phone calls, are they trained psychologists or counsellors? No, they're not generally trained psychologists and we don't normally refer to them as counsellors. They're trained crisis supporters and they're trained in a particular model to listen to people's problems, help them work through those problems. We recognise that in most situations people are able to come to a way of dealing with their problems themselves if they're given enough time and space to talk that through. It's a crisis line, it's not an advice line in that sort of way but Mm. we're there to hear people's issues and talk them through and people can often find a way forward uh, through that process. So you find that people in crisis often just need someone to talk to and they can work out their own struggle? It sounds simple when you say that but that's very true. I mean it's easy to get caught up with all of the emotion and and what's going on. Sometimes it just needs someone to sit down and really listen carefully to what someone in crisis is saying and help them sort of separate out all the strands of the issue. Look, sometimes people need to do that quite a few times in relation to a single issue, but it is about giving them time to speak. And often it is, you know, you might talk to someone who says, I've never been able to say it this way to anyone before. Because people always jump in to offer help. When you're talking to your family, they say, oh, look, I can tell you what to do here. I can tell you how to fix that. Often people don't want to be told how to fix it. They want to work through it and come to something they can deal with. So when everyone's offering help and support by offering to fix it, that sometimes is not helpful. When someone in crisis phones the service, I would imagine their emotions are quite high. They're quite distressed. So they're probably not thinking rationally. This service just gives a time and an opportunity to unpack the thoughts, emotional aspects and so on. Oh, yeah. Look, some people are very distressed. Sometimes people spend a lot of time on a call crying because that's how they're feeling at the time and having an opportunity to allow people to do that. One of the things that I learned early on when I was being trained was that everyone always says to you, don't cry, don't cry, which all you want to do when something is going wrong is cry. You just want to be able to get your emotions out. So we're quite happy in a way to sit with someone while they are expressing those emotions in the only way they feel they can. 
and even for men to have that Absolutely opportunity to cry. Absolutely for men. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. a lot of men won't cry in front of their families, even mm. though they're feeling the need to. And so having a, an opportunity to sit with a stranger and be able to express those tears is really important. The tears are almost like nature's way of allowing us to pour out yeah. the emotion. Yeah, mm. and look, we're always, or for many years, encouraged to have that stiff upper lip and, you know, not show your emotions and not cry, whereas it's a really natural part, as you say, a natural part of living mm-hmm. to be able to express that. It's really healthy to do that. The former New South Wales Premier and current Chairman of Lifeline National Board, John Brogdon, said that suicide shouldn't be a taboo subject, but for most people it's difficult to talk about. Why do you think people find it difficult to talk about suicide? Look, I think it is a very confronting thing. It's very alien to say, I want to end my life. So people find it difficult to cope with. There's a lot of myths around suicide and they tend to be, if you talk about it, you will encourage someone or you don't want to use the words because that will start people thinking down that line, which again is is, is not true. I think it's also people feel it's a sign of weakness or as I said earlier, people are encouraged to face up to their problems and deal with it. The problems people have today, often they feel they are unable to deal with it. There's a lot of isolation in the community. They're on their own. They don't have other people to share their problems often. You know, when someone's lost their job, lost their family, might be facing homelessness, might be facing what they see as total failure, then who do they go to? So there's lots of, I guess, old views of what suicide is and what it means. And those are still prevalent in people's minds. A lot of families think, I don't want anyone to know that my partner or my child took their life it's a reflection on us and that's not true and the more people get an understanding of what suicide is i think the more those myths will break down you are listening to subject act local current affairs and news with doug doving stay tuned to 2XX FM as lifeline canberra interim ceo pauline thornlow talks more about some of the myths risk factors and practical steps to prevent suicide So for someone to get to the point where they state, I want to end my life, it must be overwhelming for that person at that point of time. Oh, it is overwhelming. Sometimes you hear, you know, you'll say to people, are you thinking of killing yourself? And they say, oh, I am. And I've never been able to say that. But it's been in their mind for some time. So being able to talk about it openly is a huge opportunity for people to start to really understand what that might mean. Because they're sitting in a place where they think that's my only choice. And it's not their only choice, but that's how they're feeling. And being able to have that discussion, look, ideally they have that discussion with their family, but that's really tough. If they can't, then they've got Lifeline as one option to deal with. At the darkest moment, it's like a feeling that there is no other option, no way out. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. They feel that, and they feel it's a reasonable choice. And so sometimes people say, I said to my partner, you're not going to do anything silly, are you? Well, they don't think it's silly. No. They think this is the only choice that they have now. And being able to say, you know, are you thinking of ending your life? It is very hard to say that the first time and probably the second and third time. But as you say it, it becomes a normal question that people can then respond to as they need. As you said, it doesn't feel a normal question for no. most people because you don't usually use that in everyday conversation. No, you don't. You don't. Mm-hmm. But you do get, when I've said it, when, you know, counsellors have said it, you get a reaction. You either get, yes, I am, or no, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. And people tend to be very honest in that moment. And you can move on to a, you know, a really good conversation when someone is considering that final step. 
there is a stigma attached to suicide yep. and to mental illness. As you've said, some people regard suicide as the easy way out, yep. being selfish, cowardice. Why is that? I think that's, again, a product of how people used to view it in terms of it was a crime at one stage. It's no longer a crime. So there's that element of it. It's also, well, you're letting us down. It's a failure in the family. It's a failure of friends, that kind of thing. I think people worry that if someone in my family or, you know, someone I know has suicided, how will that reflect on me in their eyes? Have, you know, have I not been the best parent or the best friend? In the time that I've dealt with anyone contemplating suicide, there's no sense of cowardice in them. There is a deep despair, a deep vacant feeling that they have an emptiness probably is the way to describe it. They sometimes feel they're doing the brave thing because they are saving perhaps their family from more pain which clearly is not true, but that's often the feeling, which is the complete opposite to the whole idea of being selfish and so on. So where they're at at that time, they feel that they're a problem for their family yeah. and the solution is to get rid of the problem, to end their life. That's right, yeah. yeah. How many people are affected by suicide? Like how many people would contemplate this in their life? Are there figures on that? In their life, I'm not sure. They say for every suicide, there's about 30 people who are contemplating or who are t attempting suicide. So if we talk about 2,864 people died by suicide in 2014, there's something like 60,000 people attempting suicide. But then you think of the ripple effect of that on people. It's hard enough to deal with the loss and grief of a death when it's expected in the sense that someone has a, a serious illness or whatever. There's, you can sometimes come to some understanding of what has happened there. But when one day you talk to someone and the next day they're completely gone, they've died in a suicide, it's incredibly hard to take that in. So the impact of the suicide death is much greater than the impact of you know another sort of death. And that's not to underplay the impact of any death on people's lives, but the unexplained value that comes in a suicide makes it very hard for people to accept and deal with. Because you often hear people say, what a sad loss. Oh, absolutely. It's always a dreadful loss when you hear, particularly you often hear when, you know, say, oh, act. Have, have taken their own life. From our perspective, we see what great lives they've had and what fantastic opportunities would come to them had they chosen to stay alive. But taking their life has, has robbed us of so much. Therefore, a gap, a hole in our lives because they're gone. From the Bureau of Statistics, there's a comparison that more people die in Australia from suicide than people with cancer yep. and road accidents. Is that true? I think it's expressed as the leading cause of death in Australia for people aged 15 to 44. So more people die by suicide in that age group than any other cause. So the magnitude of suicide is quite huge when you compare it to car accidents and cancer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's difficult because in a comparative sense, the person who has suicided has often travelled that journey alone. And so they've been dealing with the grief and despair that they feel and then they take their life. With other deaths, sometimes that journey is shared with family. Now, you know, I don't want to make a judgment between different sorts of deaths. Any loss is awful. But mm. the tragedy, I think, is that the person who is contemplating suicide has such a lonely journey and is on their own at that last moment. Now, you said one of the myths is that if someone talks about it, it will actually increase their chance of suicide. 
Well, there's two sides to that. One side of that myth is that people say, oh, if you talk about it, you're never going to do it, which is rubbish. People talk about it because they want help. Other people say, I don't want to raise it with someone. I don't want to ask the question because if I ask the question, it might put it into their mind. They might not have been thinking of suicide until I ask. I can assure you that our experience is that when you ask people the question, they have been thinking about it already. It's something that's in their mind. So it's not a question of don't talk about it. It really is talking about it. And when you hear people talk about it, take it very seriously. When someone is at that darkest point of their life, what are some practical steps that could help someone that is thinking about suicide? Look, I think it is about asking the question, asking them if they are thinking about suicide, listening to their response, listening to what they say, not trivialising it, not disregarding it, talking to them, telling them, you know, you care for them, that you're there for them, but also encouraging them to get assistance, calling Lifeline. Getting them to call Lifeline is one really positive thing that you can help them do. Getting them to talk to their doctor. Doctors are available to provide some counselling support, but also some medical support if they need that or a counsellor of any description, but not just leaving them to, to struggle on struggle alone, on I think. Own. yeah. Are there known risk factors to suicide? Yeah, look, there are. This Mental illness is certainly a very big risk factor. A lot of people who struggle with mental illness also will go down a, a suicide path. Isolation is another. Serious illness is another. But, you know, generally I think mental illness is probably the biggest risk factor that we can identify. So is suicide preventable? Absolutely preventable, yes. We certainly, Lifeline certainly believes it is, if we are able to provide the support and care to people in our community who need it, yes. It takes us to be able to reach out to them and them to be able to, to reach out to us, but yes, certainly it is preventable. So in one way, our response to suicide is a community response as well as an individual response. Sure, mm. yeah, sure. I think the community, by being inclusive, by supporting people at times of their despair, at times when things are tough for people, I think, yeah, if, if the community needs to recognise that they need to support people in those situations and people with mental illness, of course, as well, support them. An inclusive community will go a long way towards helping people deal with the situations they find themselves in so that suicide isn't an option. So in one way, it's almost like even in our workplaces to be aware. I mean, often we get busy yep. with our own life issues, but it's important for us to be aware of how our colleagues are travelling or how other families family members are travelling. Yep. Are there sort of indicators that someone might be thinking suicide? Look, there's probably quite a few. Things like people choosing to isolate themselves, people who are acting differently to what they would have in the past, not being as involved perhaps in what's going on. You know, in a workplace sense, they may be taking more time off work. They may be not participating in workplace activities, you know, the sort of social activities, those kinds of things. If someone is acting differently to what you are used to, then you really should should be checking that out in some way and sometimes as you know we have it's not a lifeline organization but are you okay is mm. a really good thing to ask people just to reach out to them and as I say if people are acting differently it's hard to describe what differently might be but if you know someone and you think they're not returning my calls they're not coming out with us for a drink on a Saturday like they used to do what's the reason for that and checking that out is a really good thing to do that's an interesting question to open up a conversation are you okay it is, most definitely. And sometimes it's a hard thing to do because we respect each other's privacy. But it is, you know, about asking those questions and being there for people. Annually, Lifeline Canberra receives over 35,000 calls from yes. people in crisis. And a crisis support volunteer can answer over 100 calls a day. Yes. Mm. 
You said before that as a volunteer, you gained a lot of skills for your own life and work. Absolutely. How, how did that impact? Like, what was the benefit of that training for you in your work and life? Look, I think it reminded me very much of the need to listen properly to people because, and you don't just listen uh, with your ears, as it were, you observe people and you, you listen to what they're trying to tell you, not just with the words they're using, what's the subtext to mm. that. I think so it helped me in my communication skills. It also gave me an understanding of the different lives people are forced to live nowadays. When you, you know, I was a public servant for many years, you live in a fairly affluent society, I guess. You have access to great training, support in the workplace and so on. But I think I had lost sight of some of the very difficult situations people find themselves in. And it was a way of connecting again with some of that and understanding or getting appreciation of that and the fact that people have very difficult lives and what we could do to support that or help that. Each life-saving call to 13, 11, 14 cost Lifeline Canberra about $26 to answer. Yep. With ACT government funding only accounting for 6% of the running costs, how does Lifeline Canberra provide the other 94% to run what they do? By and large, our book fairs are our biggest income-producing event. We have two major book fairs every year on the north side. We're starting to grow smaller book fairs on the south side. So our next book fair is in June, and it's in Erindale at the Vikings, and uh, on the 24th to the 26th of June. So most of our money comes from the book fairs. We also, though, look to other things. We have a fun run. This will be our third year of the fun run. It will be in November. We also you know, have a few other things. We have a gala ball once a year now. This year, it's in May and it's at the War Memorial which will be very exciting. It's a great venue for us. Mm. Our patron is Brendan Nelson. He's done a fantastic job looking, you know, providing support to us and helping champion the Lifeline's needs. Now you mentioned the Lifeline Canberra Gullet Ball that's coming up in May. Can you tell us a bit more about that? We have had a ball for the last few years. It's usually a great opportunity for people to get together hear some of the things that Lifeline are doing get an idea of our messages. We've had some, uh, last year I think we had Lee Kernigan at the ball and so, you know, we have some special guests who speak obviously Brenda Nelson does and it's a great night out going especially because last year and this year we're at the War Memorial fantastic venue the War Memorial is a great place for Canberrans or well anyone to visit but it's also you know a great venue for a, a night out so it's a great ball. So it's one it's an opportunity to support yep. um, Lifeline Canberra yep. I would guess it's also another way to for social networking. Oh yeah yep. it is very yep. much yeah look and we want to do both we want to expose more people to the sorts of work that Lifeline does and then the very great need that we have. The Gala Ball is on Friday the 20th of May. Yep. How do they get more information about the ball? You can go to our website. I'm not, I have to be honest, I'm not sure how many tickets we have left for it because it's been very popular, which is great. Yeah. But nevertheless, our website, which is www.act.lifeline.org.au and you can get details here about all of our events, the book fairs, Gala Ball, other events we have and and a fun run. And also if you wanted to donate books or money and if you want to become a volunteer, because that's all also something that we look for all the time to get more volunteers to help us. There's two other things that we are involved in. One is the Out of the Shadows Walk, which will be on the 10th of September this year, and that's to mark World Suicide Day. So we usually walk near the War Memorial in the morning when the dawn's breaking. So we're able to, you know, just to mark the fact that a lot of people have lost family members and friends to suicide, a day to remember them. And then we also sponsor the Women of Spirit Awards, which is a Canberra event where we recognise there's a lot of women who've been through difficult times and have come through those and are now an inspiration to others. So we do have those awards as well in the middle of the year. I didn't realise there was so much oh, look, happening and, with Lifeline 
Canberra. There's a number of other, you know, there's always other little events that we have to raise money for Lifeline, certainly, but also to raise awareness of suicide prevention and the needs of our community. We need to bring in money, obviously, to keep our phones running. Every one of our events, we try to use them as ways of raising awareness for what the issues that we have now. And, you know, that's an important part of what we do. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? I guess I'm very grateful to the Canberra community for the support they've given Lifeline, both in financial sense, but also in the sense of the support we get for the book fairs is absolutely fantastic. People give us books and then come and buy them back, literally, (laughs) which is just magnificent. Every book fair we have is bigger and brighter and better than the one we've had before, which is extraordinary, really, when you think of it. And to think that we can run an organisation based on that community support is practically remarkable. So we're really grateful to the support we get. But the other thing I wanted to say was that if... Through this conversation, we've touched on a lot of difficult issues. And if people feel that that's raised concerns for them, they can call us on 13 11 14. Pauline, thank you so much for joining us on Subject ACT. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Lifeline Canberra. Interim CEO Pauline Thornlow talk about Lifeline's crisis support and suicide prevention service. Two upcoming events to support your local 13, 11, 14 crisis support and suicide prevention service include the Lifeline Canberra Gala Ball and the 2016 Women of Spirit Awards. On Friday, the 20th of May, Lifeline Canberra will be hosting their annual gala ball at the War Memorial. Cross of Valor Alan Sparks will MC the evening and Tanya Kernigan and the local RMC band will entertain guests under G for George. Lifeline Canberra recognised women of the ACT and surrounding regions who have overcome adversity, given back to the community and inspire others around them. The Women of Spirit Awards recognises these amazing women and nominations close on the 6th of July. For more information about Lifeline Canberra, go to www.act.lifeline.org.au. You can contact Lifeline's Crisis Support and Suicide Prevention Service on 13 11 14. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 on Subject ACT with Lucy, Patrick and Jeff for more local current affairs and news. Coming up next on 2XX at 9 o'clock is Radio Landcare. Stay tuned for more on 2XX FM 98.3 People Powered Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Doug Derbing on Subject ACT. Have a great day.